Can't think of a more hopeful thought, hopeful song than Sing to Me of Heaven. That will be our focus for just a few minutes this morning. God created us to sing. It's a marvelous thought how He put us together with our voices and our emotions and our minds. He created us to sing. Isaiah 43 and verse 7 says, We're created for His glory. And part of glorifying God is to worship and to sing. We're also commanded to sing. We read in several places in the New Testament, like Colossians 3 and 16. We are to be singing with grace in our hearts. And as we sing, we are teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. But also, in a way, we are compelled to sing. And that's because of the joy that's in our heart. Where is Chris Hood? Chris, I'm hearing voices again. I was hearing voices this week. I was here at this building by myself. And... Something I hear things at this building. Anytime you're at a church building by yourself, you're going to hear things. There's little ghosts that live here. Best way to handle a ghost at a church building is to welcome him in and give him free reign. <laughs> but Chris has some walkie-talkies, and he had set them in a closet, and he had not turned one of them off. And a lady's voice started coming out saying, "Your battery is low. Your battery is low." <laughs> But I didn't find that out right away. A little little creepy. But we are compelled to sing. You know, James 5.13 says, If any man is joyful, let him sing. And we ought to sing about heaven, and heaven ought to cause us to sing. Sing to me of heaven. In the first place, sing to me of the presence of the Lord. Sing to me of His presence. This is the best thing about heaven. Far and above. This is the best thing about heaven. In Revelation 3, 20 and 21, you see it there on the monitor. Jesus is talking to the church at Laodicea. And there are two senses, two ideals of His presence brought out here. He says uh, in verse 20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open up the door, then I will come into him and I will will eat with him, I will sup with him and he with me. The first sense of the presence of God in our lives is right now. Right now. When we submit to his will, the Lord moves in and he's he's with us. And he's close to us. He's he's in our lives. But the second sense of Jesus being in our lives is what we will eventually enjoy in heaven. If you keep reading there in Revelation 3.21, Jesus says, And 
To all those who overcome, to all those who conquer, I will give to that one the opportunity to sit with me in my throne. Just as I overcame and sat down in my Father's throne. And so we're not misreading this at all. When we go to heaven, we will be right there at the very throne of God in His presence. That is the greatest thing that I can think of about heaven. John 14, beginning in verse 1, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. I just want to be with the Lord, don't you? In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, Paul speaking about this very thing. He says in verse 7, 2 Corinthians 5 and 7, We walk by faith and not by sight, and with good courage, notice this, with good courage we say that we'd be, we're willing to be, we'd rather, we'd rather willing to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. And when it says there to be at home with the Lord, what that literally means is to be face to face with Him. And Paul says, that's where I'd like to be. In fact, notice what Paul says in Philippians 1, 20-23. That he says, I'd rather be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. And he follows that up in Philippians 1 by saying, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Which is very far better. So notice that Paul had his eye on the goal. He wanted to be with Christ. Which is much better than where he was at that time. That's better than where we're at as well. I'll just be really direct with you. I'm humbled anytime I'm in the presence like I am this morning. I'm humbled just being in the presence of faithful Christians. It has always humbled me. I understand what people are giving up to be a Christian, a devoted Christian. I understand the priorities that they're setting. I understand what could be theirs, and yet they are freely giving that up. I can see in their hearts and their eyes the love they have for the Lord. It humbles me. It truly does. To be in the presence of faithful Christians. And of individuals who just love the Lord. When we were at Faulkner University years ago, one of our teachers was Wendell Winkler. And... He allowed us to go into his office, even when he wasn't there. And I love to go in there and just look around. His office was almost as clean as mine. He had a real office. 
walls. He had a real library. And it just humbled me to be in his presence. Many of you know that we, we disappear every year around in, in the second or third week of August and we go to this preacher's workshop, church workshop really now. So last year on Monday evening we were presenting the Winkler family and really Sister Winkler with an award on stage on Monday night about four or five thousand people and so we do this with some family every year and so usually um, it's not my favorite thing to do because I have to go up on stage and I have to put on a tie you know that it's just terrible and so we were going up there and so it, I didn't think anything about it it was our 25th year but still I didn't think anything about it so we get there we do our thing we're going off the stage and then they call us back up on the stage and they say since this is the 25th year then we're going to give you a football sign by, by Coach Saban and we want you to say a few words to the audience. And I just, I just turned around and I started to walk off the stage but they pulled me back up there and, and so I came to the conclusion that I'm going to have to say something to these 4,000 plus people. And all I really need to say Well, it's just what I'm saying this morning. That I'm humble. Just, I've always felt, I've never, really, truly, ever since I've started preaching, I've never really have felt like I, have, I belong. I don't belong doing it. But that doesn't even begin to compare to being in the presence of the Lord. In heaven up above. It is impossible with human words to describe what that will be. Psalm 16 is pretty good though. Psalm 16 verse 11. Speaking of the Lord. In His presence is fullness of joy. And at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's about as good as you can do with English words. In His presence is the fullness of joy, and at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. Don't you want to go to heaven? Sing to me of the presence of the Lord. Now not everybody, unfortunately, will be able to enjoy this because they love the presence of men more than they love the presence of God. They love the glory that comes from men more than the glory that comes from God. At least that's what Jesus says in John 12. 42 and 43, when he was talking about some of the Pharisees who actually believed in him, but for fear they would not follow him, they would not confess it because they loved the glory that comes from men more than the glory that comes from God. And that's been a problem that still is a problem. You take a, a rich man, a wealthy man, will walk into a building and people will just swarm him or her. Okay, It's like a trance, like they're in a trance. Oh, so-and-so's here. Oh, let me, you know, it's like they're getting this trance and they just go right toward him or go right toward her. It's obvious they love the presence of that rich man. James tackled this, James 2, beginning in verse 1, where he says, Brethren, don't have your faith in Jesus with respect to persons. Don't have it with partiality. And then he gives this scenario of worship. He says that it comes into your assembly 
a man with a gold ring and dressed in fine apparel, and you say to him, hey, we've got a good seat for you, sit here, sit here in my seat, but then also there comes into your assembly a man in shabby clothing, a poor man, what do you say to him? James says, James is saying this, you say to him, well, you stand over there, or you, you can just sit here on my footstool. He says, James says this, James 2 verse 4, he says, are you not uh, making distinctions among yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts? In other words, you shouldn't be doing this. And then he goes on to say, has not God chosen the poor as to this world to be those who are going to be rich in faith? And then in the next verse he says, but you dishonor the poor man. Have you ever thought about that? That those who are poor ought to be honored. That as the Lord did often when He was on earth, so should we. That they, should, they should attract our attention. They should get the majority of our time. But when that doesn't happen, then we dishonor them and we dishonor God as well. And so first of all, sing to me of the presence of the Lord. In the second place, sing to me of His peace as well. Sing to me of His peace. And of course, just like His presence, right now we can enjoy all sorts of peace with the Lord. Paul sums it up in Romans 5, beginning in verse 1. Being therefore justified by faith, we have peace with God. We can enjoy that right now. There's a lot of peace that goes with forgiveness. Having that forgiveness of mind, Romans 5 verse 1, having that forgiveness of mind, there's a lot of peace to that. And there's a lot of peace knowing that you're living you know, as the Lord would have you to live, but there's going to be even more peace, even greater sense of peace in heaven. You know that song... I believe it's in our songbook. There will be peace in the valley. I think that's supposed to be talking about heaven. Do you think of Elvis Presley when you hear that? There will be peace in the valley. Number 507 is what it is. We're not going to sing it, but I'm going to look at it. It's a pretty good song about heaven. First verse. Now the third verse, I'm not so sure about. You can look at it for yourself. But the first verse goes like this. Well, I'm tired and so weary, but I must go alone till the Lord comes and calls me away. Well, the morning is bright and the Lamb is the light. That's good. And the night, well, the night is just as fair as the day. There will be peace in the valley uh, for me. That's true. It's so very true. How do we know? These passages that we won't read all these together, but I just want to make a reference to them. All of these mention that God is a God of peace. I encourage you to take these and read these. Very, very uplifting. But in each of these passages, God is referred to as a God of peace. Like Philippians 4 there in verse 9, where Paul says, the things which you have heard from me and you have seen in me, if you will hear these things and do them, then the God of peace shall be with you. God is the God of peace. God is, is in heaven. 
Heaven is where there is the tremendous presence of God. So if God is there, then there's going to be peace in that valley. <coughs> Sing to me of heaven. Sing that song of peace. From the toils that bind me, it will bring release. Now, there's something about heaven, and it's called the no mores. The no mores. Sometimes you, when you say no more, that's a, it has a negative sense to it. Okay. For example, there's no more peanut butter in the house. Okay. That's not good. Okay. I just, I, something has to be done. No more... No more gas in the car. Something has it can take on a negative ideal about it, but when it comes to heaven, oh, what a thought! What a thought! Now your mind is going to the same place mine is. Revelation chapter twenty-one and verse four, where it says, "God shall wipe away." Now, when you read that, be careful. Don't just read it, God shall wipe away tears. But look closely at your King James Bible and your, and your other translations and notice and see if it doesn't say A-L-L or use the word every. Does it say all and every? I know it does. God shall wipe away every tear. All tears. Not just one. Not just the occasional tear, but God shall wipe away every tear. And there shall be no more death. And there shall be no more mourning. There shall be no more crying. And there shall be no more pain. It's going to be a brand new place. God can create a brand new world for us. He's doing that right now for us. Just to sum this up, heaven will, will be a place where there will be no more insecurity. No more insecurity. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19-21. He says, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moth and rust does not corrupt and where thieves do not break through and steal. We have to continually think about what somebody might do or are not going to do while we're in this life and we have our security teams. But in heaven, nothing will be needed of such because thieves will not break through and steal. Nobody will be killing another person and nothing will wear away. No more insecurity. Also think about this. No more separation. No more sad goodbyes. No more separation. No more sad goodbyes. 1 Thessalonians 4 beginning in verse 16. Now the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And from that point on, we will be with the Lord and we'll be in heaven and we'll never have to leave that place. We're assembled here 
with great privilege today to worship, but we have to leave and go back to regular life after today. We get to heaven. No more separations. No more goodbyes. Think about it this way. In heaven, no storms, no sickness, no sorrow, and no suffering. Think about it this way. In heaven there will be no sin. There will be no sin. All those who will you know, lie and create lies, all those who get involved in sin, if you read Revelation 22, 14, and 15, you'll see that inside those, those, the gates of that, of, those, of that pearly city, those kind of folks will not be in, that, in those gates. On the outside, they will be. But inside that golden city we call heaven, call heaven, the folks that lie and the folks that are fornicators and the folks that are idolaters and the such like, they will not be allowed in. No more sin. And as you read through the book of Revelation, like chapter 21, 25 through 27, you find out that heaven will be one eternal day. No more long nights. I know some of you have spent some long nights. Sometimes it's worry. Sometimes it's just nothing. You just can't sleep. Sometimes it's both. Sometimes it's pain. It's keeping you up. But in heaven there will be no night there. Just as that first verse says, peace in the valley. The night will be just as fair as day. No more long nights. And according to what is written in Revelation chapter 7, 16 and 17, there shall be no more hunger, there shall be no more thirst, but the Lamb Himself, He will feed you what you need. He will give you, He will satisfy your thirst there in heaven. Yes, sing me that song of peace where the toils of life no longer bind me. See, no more. No more. Sing to me of the people in heaven. We could spend all day thinking about who we want to talk to when we get to heaven. Matthew chapter 8, verses 11 and 12 says that when we get to heaven, we will sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in that great kingdom. And that's just a sample of the faithful people that will be there. But my favorite thought about heaven and the people, what Jesus said in Matthew 19, 13 and 14, when He said, Suffer the little children to come unto Me, and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. We've had to say goodbye to some kids. But it's going to be a glad hello to them. All children go to heaven. All children that that pass on, as we say, before their time. Actually, we took a little side trip. Heaven is so great, you know. It's us who are in the worse situation than the children are. But, back to our situation here. We say those who have gone on before their time... They're in heaven. 
Heaven is going to be covered with little children. We're going to have the grandest pew-packer class in heaven that you could ever imagine. Remember what David said when his little one passed away? He was explaining to his servant. His servant was puzzled. His servant said, and David had done this. David had been on the ground praying that his child would live. On the ground, face down. He would not receive any comfort. They couldn't, he was fasting. He was weeping continuously. But finally when they finally told him that his child had passed on, he got up, he washed himself. He went into the house of the Lord and he worshipped. And his servant was puzzled about this. He said, look, while my child was alive, I prayed because who knows what the Lord might do. Isn't that humility? What David said, who knows? I don't know. You don't know. David didn't know. But when the child passed, he said to his servant, he cannot come back to me. But I can go to him. Sing to me of the people in heaven. And finally this morning, sing to me of the path that takes us to heaven. In heaven we know when we read select passages from the book of Revelation. If we had time, we would start at Revelation chapter 7 and just read verse 9 and onward. And there's a great multitude from all nations and they're singing the praises of God and they're glorifying his name, and somebody just for emphasis says, Now, who are these people? And then they give the answer to their own question. They said, These are they who have come out of a great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's the path to heaven, the blood of the Lamb. Are you following the Lamb? When we say Lamb, we say the Lamb of God. The Son of God. And He has laid out a path to heaven. It includes His shed blood. In fact, we would be hopeless without the shed blood of our Lord. But it also includes His New Testament. His Almighty Word. The power of the Gospel. Are you following the Lamb? Are you in the Lamb's book of life? Are you ready today to go to heaven? See, we want to sing about salvation. Victory in Jesus is what we want to sing about. We sing because the Lord has made it possible for us to go there. Wouldn't it be very sad to read of such a place where there would be the presence of God and peace galore and to read of a place where the great faithful men of all, all time are now there and yet not be able to know how to get there? That's not the case. We know how to get there. And the Lord, in His good, goodness and mercy, he is, He's preserved for us these sacred writings. And we, we implore you, we beg you, that if, you're not, if you don't know, if you're, if you're not sure of the paths that you're taking right now, then... By all means, let's, let's get sure. We can, we can know this New Testament. We can know our way uh, to salvation. John writes in 1 John 5 and 13, These things I write to you that you may know that you have eternal life. We don't have to walk around guessing about it. 
wondering about it, we can know it's all because of what the Lord has left for us. Can we, can we pray together this morning? Can, can we study together? You know, before Jesus left the earth, He said, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. That's, that's part of that path. That, that, gives, that brings us the forgiveness of sins through His blood. That puts us, that, that begins our journey to heaven, to a faithful life. Can, can we assist you uh, this morning? Please make, make your wants known. Make, make any need uh, that you have in your life. Make that known this morning right now as we stand together, as we sing. Please.